Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Um, I was about to comment on uh, Peter Collier, who was the only person who clearly didn't get the email, the only person from the core group, only male from the core group who didn't get the email about the blue check shirts this morning, but um, everyone else, although Pete Scammon has got a striped shirt, that didn't quite work, but never mind. Uh, preparing a Bible study is what we're thinking about for the next hour. Preparing a Bible study can feel scary, or at least I think so. I, I don't know about you, maybe it's fine for you, but for me it can feel scary. So in this session, what we're going to do for the next hour is to look at some of the simple techniques that we can use to open up God's Word, uh, to understand it and, and to apply it uh, both for ourselves and for our groups. So the aims for the next hour are to equip ourselves with some of the basic techniques and then, secondly, to apply these techniques to some of the passages in 1 Peter so that we can go go away already heart-prepared. What you need is a handout, which looks like this. There are some some large print versions in A4 in case you're hard of hearing or whatever it is. Um, So um, do uh, one of those on each table. There's some more up here. Has anyone, anyone not got a, um, got a handout? Great. Let's not forget what we're wanting to do when we prepare a Bible study. We're, we're wanting to encounter the living God ourselves. This is not an academic exercise. We're wanting to, to grow in our relationship with him. Uh, God is relational. He's a relational God who reveals himself to us through his word so that we can respond to him rightly in obedience and in praise and in worship. So, so we're growing in our relationship with him. And we're wanting to seek to help others to do those things too. To encounter him and to grow in relationship with him. But we do need to work hard at getting it right. On a correct understanding of scripture. A passage of the Bible doesn't have three different meanings for three different people. A passage of the Bible doesn't have three different meanings for three different people. The application may vary substantially between people in different situations, clearly. But the main point, the meaning of the text, is constant and we'll only get the application right if we've understood the main point. Now, now to an extent, much of the understanding work will be done for us this term in the Sunday evening sermons, as Paul's already said. Uh, so the really vital thing the really vital thing is that we need to be doing in our small groups is to be working hard at applying these truths to ourselves, to be asking those why questions. To be, uh, we, we don't want to be, what was Paul's expression, we don't want to be tadpoles, uh, all head. Uh, we, want to, uh, we don't want to let each other off the hook. Uh, we want to apply to get into the detail of what the, uh, what the passage is saying to us in our situations. Having said that, As we help our groups apply, we need to be really clear on our understanding. We can't skip that step. Why the passage means what it does. Otherwise, where it's deeply challenging, and there are some of those passages, or or even controversial, and there may be some of those as well, and a group member says to you, why does it mean that, when you explain to them what Paul said on the Sunday night? You'll find yourself stuck. We need to have first-hand understanding so that we can feel equipped to help our group 
through that understanding. So absolutely, our groups should be focusing on applying 1 Peter uh, to our lives. But let's not avoid the understanding bit. As Bible study group leaders, whether um, uh, we, we do need to be teaching and modelling to our groups how to study the Bible well. Whether we've been Christians for decades or, 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 or they've just been Christians for a few weeks. We want to help them handle the word of truth very well. So that their minds... And our minds together will grow in sound doctrine and our hearts will be wanting to serve the Lord. Now the only two things we need to understand the Bible are the Bibles in our hands and God's Spirit in our hearts. We must of course remember that we can only understand God's Word as God gives us understanding. So what better thing to do now than to pray together as we open up God's Word. So let me pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you that you are a God who delights to reveal yourself through your word, by the power of your spirit. And so as we come to your word now, we ask that your spirit would illuminate the pages in front of us. As we seek to handle your word correctly, grant us understanding, we pray, and use these next few minutes to help us to to prepare well for the term ahead, so that our lives would be transformed to live for King Jesus. For we ask in his name. Amen. So as I said a moment ago, the only two things we really need to understand the Bible are the Bibles in our hands and God's spirit in our hearts. Nothing else. However, however, uh, even um, once you've read through the letter a couple of times and you've prayed, sometimes it can feel a bit daunting, can't it? Um, looking at a, a, a short letter like 1 Peter... Uh, it's a, consider this, uh, you're a few weeks into term, um, uh, you're sat at the kitchen table, for those of you with, with small children, the kids are in bed but only just and it was late and you've got a study to prepare for tomorrow night and only a limited amount of time and you're thinking where do I start, where do I start? If that's you, if that's uh, been your experience then, then this is the ses- session for you. In that kind of situation, some basic tools or techniques can be really helpful. They can focus our minds and help us to to concentrate. Uh, They're not cheating. We use techniques or tools uh, in uh, whatever we do, whether it's baking a cake or writing a letter or washing the car. But the tools I'm going to introduce you uh, to are from a a little book called Dig Deeper. There's a picture of it on uh, on the handout there. Uh, The book introduces 17 tools, each in a short chapter with some examples. Uh, I know a good number of people here have read it already and uh, would heartily recommend it. Um, If you're into QR codes, you can, even by the end of this session, if you think it'd be good to get hold of a copy, you can click on that QR code on the handout. And for 7.49, you can have one arriving at your door by by Monday or Tuesday or something. So um, get hold of a book. Alternatively... There's one here. In fact, there are about five or six here. First come, first serve. I don't know what the price is. Maybe it's the same. Um, All the tools in Dig Deeper are techniques that you can put to use when you open up any part of the Bible. And through this session, we're going to spend most of our time getting getting very practical. We're going to work through seven of the tools, some of them doing stuff together on our tables. 
um, and, and using those tools to get a handle on some of the parts of this short letter. So without further ado, let's, let's dive in. Possibly the most important tool is the author's purpose. The author's purpose, that is, why was a particular passage or why was a particular book written? Specifically here then, why was 1 Peter written? And the great thing is, as Paul's already talked to us, uh, is that we don't have to guess why 1 Peter was written, because Peter tells us the reason. And that's so often the case, especially uh, through the New Testament letters, frequently at the start or the end, or a combination of the two, you can work out exactly why it's been written. As I said, Paul's already been over this, but, but we're gonna, um, it's so important that we're going to make sure we've got it clear in our minds at the start of, of the term. So if you, let's turn to 1 Peter 5, chapter 12, uh, verse 12. 1 Peter 5, verse 12. With the help of Silas... Whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. So I've written to you briefly. Why? For encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. So what are they to do? Stand fast in it. So in the whole letter, Peter aims to to testify or declare the true grace of God. And secondly, to encourage or exhort Peter's readers to stand firm in it. So we don't need to approach any part of this letter now in in a bit of a vacuum, because we know why it's being written. Peter put it together for a very clear purpose, and he's told us what that purpose is. So each week this term, it's worth us asking two uh, great questions at any passage you're looking at. First, how does this passage declare the true grace of God? And second, how does this passage exhort Christians, us, to stand firm for Jesus? How does this passage declare the true grace of God? And how does this passage exhort Christians to stand firm for Jesus? If those two big questions are in our mind as we read 1 Peter and prepare our Bible studies, we'll be letting the Bible set the agenda, which is always a very, very good thing to do when we're reading the Bible. Picture the scene. People have arrived at your house for your small group Bible study. You have tea and coffee or glass of wine, whatever is your thing you do in your your small group. And you turn to your co-leader... And they turn to you, and you both go slightly white. I thought you were leading tonight. (laughs) I don't know whether you've ever had that experience. But you don't need to panic, not now. You take the lead, you pray, you ask someone to read the passage. And then he said, let's remind ourselves why Peter wrote this letter. And you turn to 1 Peter 5.12, and you read that. And you say, tonight we're just going to ask two big questions of the passage that we are are reading. How does this passage, you read the passage, how does this passage declare the true grace of God? How does this passage exhort us to stand firm for Jesus? 
We have some great conversation about those two questions, really getting into the passage and understanding it, and, and making sure that you're applying well at the end. It's easy, isn't it? I'm not advocating you do no preparation for any of your Bible studies this term, but you could do far worse than that. It would be a great evening. Let's move on to our second tool, because uh, we've heard enough of me, and it's time for you to do some thinking around your tables. But just to introduce the second one, the second tool we're going to think about is structure. The idea here is that Bible readers ordered their material in logical ways to make a point. Bible, Bible uh, writers sorry, ordered their material in such a way to make, as to make a point. As Paul said this morning, that some people, and in fact some of you here, are maybe thinking, oh, structure. But no, it's exciting. It's really important that we understand why Peter put together the letter in the way that he did. And what's the point he's trying to make? How does that work? We're not going to spend the whole of our evenings talking about it. But we want to understand what Peter was saying. Even now, with an email, we might start by addressing the recipient. Perhaps with a, hi Kate, hope you're well. And then you introduce the subject. about the party on Saturday. And then you say what you want to say, and then you sign off with kind regards or love and kisses or whatever it is, and then perhaps your email address and phone number underneath as a sort of, kind of signature strip. Well, there's a structure, isn't there, to the way that we communicate. Uh, but in Old Testament Hebrew and, and New Testament Greek writing, the construction and structure of the writing was far more important then than, than, than it generally is today. For example... Uh, we quite often in the Bible we find a structure is, is like a sandwich, uh, technically something called a chiasm, with a really important stuff in the middle and layers of similar content working outwards on either side. Uh, and sometimes, especially in some New Testament letters, uh, there's a logical linear flow of the argument. This, so therefore this, uh, because of this, that kind of thing. And yet despite this, for some bizarre reason, sometimes people, never us of course, sometimes people, we, but I suspect we've probably all done it, we can open up our Bibles and think that we can dive straight into a passage without thinking about the structure or the flow or, or the, 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 how the passage fits into what's around it, the context. There's nothing particularly clever about the structure tool. Uh, a good place, though, is to, to, to look at the passage in front of us and to, to break it up, to kind of subdivide it, to turn it into smaller, manageable chunks, and then to think about how those different chunks fit together. Uh, remember that paragraph uh, breaks, and uh, especially NIV headings, they're all modern inventions, um, and chapters and those kind of things, all modern inventions. So to get those out of your mind as you're looking at the Bible, don't, don't let those sort of influence or, or, or sort of govern the way you look at the text. And for, for that reason, sometimes it's easiest to print out a copy of the text and go online, copy it and, and print it out. And then you can scribble all over it and sort of work out how it works. Uh, which is the kind of thing we're going to have a go at now. On our tables, we're going to apply the structure tool to study two, the second week study, uh, which is 1 Peter 1 verses 3 to 12, which are printed out there on your handout. Amazingly, that is one long sentence, not in the English, but in the original Greek. It's one long sentence from Peter. But there is some, there is some logic and there's some argument and flow within that sentence. And that's the, it's not just a random collection of statements. 
So what I, I want us to do is to see if we can break it up a bit, work out what are those smaller manageable chunks and what are their main points, what's this about and how does it work through. So we're going to spend 10 minutes doing this. If you look in the group work one box, it tells you what you're going to do on your tables. If there are only two or three of you on your tables, you can just spend the whole of the time in that two or three. But otherwise, one person on the table, read the passage, and then in pairs or threes, just split up and, and talk about how you break the passage down, because it's, it's quite dense. Break it down to manageable chunks, and then summarise the, the main idea in those chunks. Away you go. Linking words are the words which signpost the flow of thought or logic through a passage. If, since, for, for this reason, because, but, so. Miss these and you can totally miss the point. In fact, to overlook an if or a therefore is probably the easiest way to get the meaning of a Bible passage entirely wrong. So let's make sure we do spot those linking words. And in 1 Peter, the third study, starting on that verse, verse 13 of chapter 1, is a great place to practice this. Uh, the, 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 the passage is printed there on your worksheet, and we're going to do the same thing as we did before. Uh, on each table, uh, get someone to read the passage, and then in twos and threes, underline the linking words. There are loads of them in there. Underline the linking words, and then... I don't know how you want to do this, but perhaps with, with arrows or, or scribbles or whatever it is, try to work out what is Peter's logic as he works through the passage. What's his argument? What's he saying? How do the different parts link to each other through those linking words? We've only got five minutes, but give it a go. So in twos or threes to start with, and then come back as your table. Again, I hope you found that a useful exercise. It's a great technique, especially to start to understand the flow of a New Testament letter. And once you've started to get a a bit of an understanding of of Peter's logical flow clear in your mind, that the main arguments of the passage, the key themes and the big ideas, should should begin to become evident. And just like with the structure tool, it's these key themes and big ideas which will then be the core of what you're trying to teach and, and apply. And I hope that just with half an hour spent looking at those two passages, which are studies two and three of this term, I hope you're starting to think, I can, I can understand this, we can, we can look at work at this together and, and, and work out what Peter's, uh, Peter's on about in this letter. And starting to get those studies coming together. Add notes which will be provided and it all this becomes easy, doesn't it? There's a danger, there's a danger that when we think about tools and techniques in this way, that we can start to make Bible study seem like a mechanical exercise. And my hope is that our next tool will entirely blow that away. The tone and feel tool is just a reminder that Bible writers are wanting us to engage with our living God at a deep and emotional and and heart level as well as understanding the logic of how God's plan of salvation works. Here's uh, a little bit of Psalm 98. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord and with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. 
With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. The psalmist didn't write, make various musical sounds to show that you're happy about the Lord. And I think there's good reason, isn't there? He wants to capture our imagination. He wants to encourage us to be passionate about the Lord. Isaiah didn't say, God's servant will die in my place as an atoning sacrifice. He tells us that we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. So in particular, if you're the sort of person who thinks that giving flowers is pointless because they wilt within a few days. Yes, you know who you are. In particular, if that's you, then do stop and work out what the Bible writer is wanting you to feel. Think about the emotional engagement and how that changes the depth of our understanding of the passage that we're teaching. In your twos and threes, it'd be great to take a look at the two examples on the handout. Let me just read 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter could perhaps have written what's in the right-hand boxes on that handout. Just in your twos and threes, think through how we're meant to think differently about the passage because of the way that Peter writes. What is it about the colour that adds depth to what Peter is writing and saying? So when you prepare your Bible study, beware trying to squeeze the meaning of the passage into that little sort of what it says in the right-hand box. And in doing so, removing the colour and the depth. Have a conversation in your twos and threes about how things will be different because of the way that Peter writes. Our fifth tool is the quotation or allusion tool. Allusion, not illusion. Turn with me in your Bibles to the seventh study of this term, which is 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 8 to 22. 1 Peter chapter 3, the whole of the, the study is verses 8 to 22, but in the middle of the section there is a quote. Whoever would love life and see good days, and it follows on from there. It's a quote from Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16. Peter states his point in verses 8 and 9. Let's read those. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. So Peter states his point, And then he says, for, at the start of verse 10, a linking word. And goes on to quote from the psalm. So he's saying in verse 9, repay evil with blessing because this, this lifestyle as he's just described, 
To this lifestyle you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For, because another a linking word, and then the Old Testament uh, quote from the psalm. So why is the quote here? How, why is he linking these thoughts together? What does it add? Why didn't Peter just make his point in verses 8 and 9 without it? The quotation or allusion tool is a reminder that Bible writers include cross-references. They often quote or allude to other passages of scripture. And we should expect that, shouldn't we? The Bible is one book about God's plan of salvation for the world through his son, Jesus Christ. And so cross-references are there to underline the point, to give it added weight, and to say in this situation that the Old Testament has always said this, or to say in another situation that Jesus said this. The quote is not there to add padding. So we do need to open our Bibles and find out what's going on. Very often, to to do that properly, we need to understand the context of the quote, what's happening in that cross-referred passage. So what about this quote in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 10 to 12? Sadly, we've not got time this morning to look at this one in groups. Uh, But let me just give you a little bit of a picture of what is going on, which hopefully you can park in your mind for six or ten, eight weeks or whatever it is, or scribble something down. What's going on in Psalm 34 is that David is describing his real experience of real-life persecution. He's talking about how he feels in the episode described in 1 Samuel chapter 21, where he, David... God's king is being persecuted despite his righteous behaviour. He tells of his experience in the psalm and he encourages his hearers and readers to take refuge in the Lord and to continue doing good even though being opposed. And so in quoting this episode about David, David, the psalmist, Peter is adding colour and vibrancy to his exhortations. He's saying to his readers, it was like this for King David too. He was doing good. He was persecuted for it, but he carried on doing good. So in the language of 1 Peter, David stood firm and carried on doing what was right, holding to the Lord for his refuge. So Peter is saying to his readers, remember King David all that time ago? This has always been the pattern for those living God's way. David stood firm, so do the same. For members of our our groups, even for us in 21st century Britain, um, we will often have very limited or much more limited Bible understandings than than some of the earlier readers of of the letter. So often these Bible cross-references can be harder to get to grips with, to understand. But letting the Bible explain the Bible is a really important principle to learn, especially if we want to see how the whole Bible fits together as one whole, not a collection of different ideas. So let's remember to follow up these quotations and allusions as we work through 1 Peter this term. As we said earlier, practical application to our lives should be core to our small group work. And in the last two tools we're going to think about, they're going to bring us right into the the heart of the subject of application. And the first of these is, who am I? Who am I? 
I suspect we've all been in Bible studies where somebody, maybe even the leader, has said, how should we be like Moses or like David or like Jesus in this passage we've just read? Now, in some circumstances, that might be appropriate. Philippians clearly encourages us to have an attitude like Jesus. We want to be like him. Hebrews encourages us to look at the Old Testament men of faith. But our danger, and I want to underline this really, that our danger is often to want to be like the hero. Our kids do it all the time, don't they? You you know what kids are like, even if you haven't got any of your own. They watch Superman on the TV, and the next moment they're wearing a red towel with an extra pair of underpants on and leaping from the fourth step. They, They want to be the hero. And we do the same. Uh, We read that God uh, urged Joshua to be strong and courageous and that he'd be with him forever. Uh, And so we're the first to say, yes, that's me. That's me. Well, we read our story, uh, our children's story about uh, David and Goliath. And we might be tempted to teach them that they too could be like David and beat giants if only they'd eat their vegetables or whatever it is. But we shouldn't have to think very hard. Um, before we realise that that none of this is actually like uh, Joshua, the one who saves. That's what his name means, doesn't it? And none of us is the David, God's chosen king. Now, both those two Old Testament characters are first and foremost teaching us something about Jesus, God's saviour, God's Messiah king. They might be good role models for us in, in certain situations, but we can't claim promises that God made to them for ourselves, for example. More often, we are the Israelites in those kind of passages. Uh, we are the ones um, who, um, uh, who need rescuing. I put on the, the hand out there. We're the ones who need rescuing, the ones who need God's help. We're the ones who need a king. We're the ones who need a saviour. And we need to draw the lines from the Israelites to us, rather than David and Joshua to us. But why am I talking about this? Because most of these people we've just mentioned don't come up in 1 Peter. Well, in part, what we're trying to do this morning is think how we do open up the Bible and think about it for ourselves. And and therefore, that's a really important thing to think about. Who am I in the passage? Who, who, Who am I meant to relate to and look like? So in part, it's just a really helpful tool to have in our kit bag when we're studying the Bible and be really careful about quickly jumping to be the hero. But we do need to be very clear why it is that we can apply any bit of the Bible directly to us. 1 Peter was a letter written by Peter. That bit is easy to remember. But before we can apply what Peter says in his letter, we need to think about who the letter was written to and Why what applied to them then applies to us now? How do we get to that conclusion? Why can we read 1 Peter and say, well, that is talking to them then, so therefore it's the same for us now? We we can't make that logical jump too quickly before we are confident that's the right thing to do. So just for one minute in your pairs, discuss or ask each other the two questions that are there on the handout. Who is the letter written to? Why is it okay to take what Peter says and apply it directly to us now? The first question is answered in verse 1 of chapter 1. Don't worry too much about that. Think about the second question. I hope you, I hope you worked out that the letter 
The letter is written to God's elect, God's chosen people, chosen by God for obedience to him. That is, Christians in the churches across the places that are described at the start of chapter 1. So in Bible terms, those people are just like us, which is why it's safe to apply what Peter says to them straight to us. That may sound very basic, but it's one of the tools to get out when someone in your group jumps back to an Old Testament reference and says that we need to be like the the hero, the character there. It's always important to ask that question, who am I in the passage? Who am I in the passage? And so, our final tool. So what? What does it all mean? The absolute heart of application. And a really helpful suggestion in the book, Dig Deeper, is to think about what a passage means in four ways. Four levels of application. What does it mean for me, a Christian? Each one of us. What does it mean for my Christian friend? What does it mean for the church? What does it mean for unbelievers? I don't know about you, but often in applying a passage of the Bible, we alight on just perhaps one of those. Maybe with a section of a letter like 1 Peter, we might be tempted just to think about what it means for each of us as individual Christians. We hear Peter's exhortation to stand firm despite persecution, and we set off into the week into our tough job environment, whatever it is, to live for Jesus, despite the pressures. And that's great, isn't it? But it would be really brilliant, this term, if we could think big in our application of 1 Peter. Instead of just applying to me, it would be great also to think about what that encouragement means, that to stand firm means, for my Christian friend. The friend who's, who's wobbling in their faith. The friend who's, who's struggling in their marriage. The friend who's being given a tough time at work for not wanting to get drunk with the lads. How can I take that encouragement to my friend this week and how can I pray for him? And, and thinking wider, what does it mean for the church? For, for our small group working together as mini church? For our local church here, Christchurch Forward? For the wider church across the world? As we hear... Peter's exhortation to stand firm despite persecution, how should we as a small group respond to the pressure to water down the Bible's clarity on Jesus being the only way to salvation, for example? And as we think about our local church, as Paul Williams and the wider church leadership here face increasing pressure to compromise from the wider Church of England and its increasingly liberal stance on issues like human sexuality and marriage... How do we as the church family support them graciously to stand firm? What should we be doing as church family together? And as we undoubtedly hear of of extreme persecution, the sort of thing that we did, Paul did mention earlier, of, of, of Christians in the wider church whether those facing incredibly tough times in, in Iraq or, or parts of Africa um, or, or those facing just generally tough times like we do. Peter's exhortation to stand firm despite persecution will surely cause us in small, our small groups to be praying earnestly for our Christian brothers and sisters that they won't compromise even in the face of, of gruesome torture and death. So we've taken our application from just ourselves to our Christian friends, to the church, but also to unbelievers. 
It'd be easy to think that 1 Peter, as a letter to Christians, only has application for Christians. But don't forget where we started, the author's purpose. You remember? Chapter 5, verse 12, it tells us that the whole letter aims to testify or declare the true grace of God and to encourage or exhort Peter's readers to stand firm in it. If this short letter is declaring the true grace of God, then it is a powerful message of grace for all people. Friends, our unbelieving friends need to hear that there is, as chapter 1 verse 3 says, the opportunity for new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never spoil or fade, kept in heaven for us. So this isn't a private letter to be kept to ourselves. Let's tell our friends and our colleagues of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand firm for him, whatever the cost, whatever the consequences, and let's support each other this term as we seek to understand and apply this great letter. To stand firm in God's grace through persecution and suffering, whatever the consequences. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this letter and we thank you for the opportunity ahead of us this term to study it together. We pray that by your spirit you would open our eyes so that we would deepen our knowledge and love of you this term and that you would call our lives into obedience to Jesus Christ. And reading from chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. And the God of all grace, who called us to, to his eternal glory in Christ, after we have suffered a little while, will himself restore us and make us strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen.